Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast by Myalgia Real Solutions with Amanda Love. My name's Amanda Love, and I'm a registered holistic nutritionist who works with those with fibromyalgia. And today's guest is David. So welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm delightful. <laughs> Can't so, you tell? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, how did you get started and what you're doing today? Okay, well, um, I'm a food journalist. Uh, I created Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, the TV show. Most recently, uh, I put out a book called Food Americana, which is all about how we created an American cuisine out of the foods of other countries and cultures. I got started in this. Well, I, I'm ancient. I, I've been a journalist mostly in television for more than 50 years now. But I, I began to develop a real interest in food when I was sent to Europe by NBC News back in the 80s, back back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And I started to notice, more than notice, to, to, to really um, embrace the fact that food in the rest of the world was A, a gateway to individual cultures, and B, often far more dependent than in the States on what could be grown or raised in a particular area. And at least back then, there was far less of an emphasis on fast food, garbage food, uh, than, than there was in the States. I remember we were doing a story on, this is not an oxymoron, but it sounds like it, Germany's leading food critic, a guy named Wolfram Zebeck, who was attempting to improve the general quality of German food, which was heavily fried and often imperfect, let's put it that way. And I mentioned to his wife that after we fed a story for Nightly News to New York, even though we were in Europe, there were very few places available to eat because it was like 1130 or midnight, given the difference in time. And I said to her, you know, so oftentimes we have to go to McDonald's and she beat me up you can have a sandwich you can go buy a good piece of bread blah 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 and 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 a she's right b um there is still a difference between europe and the united states in terms of reliance on fast food but the gap is narrow there's a lot more americanized eating not good americanized eating but fast food americanized eating in the rest of the world than than ever before and that trend continues is do you think it's just getting worse and worse decade by decade yeah um it's fascinating look chain restaurants and and i'm not going to be hypocritical i think there's some terrific food at chain restaurants i'll i'll eat in and out burgers day and night until i fall over from cholesterol (laughs) there's nothing intrinsically wrong with a fast food meal if it's not the centerpiece of your diet uh, unfortunately, um, despite political negativism about the United States in many countries, there remains something cool and hip about American products. And increasingly, as American fast food chains run out of uh, space or place to expand in the States, they've gone international. Uh, the, the two leading pizza chains, Domino's and Pizza Hut, are all over the world where what they serve is not seen as Italian, it's seen as American. 
Um, and, you know, look, a pizza is not, not, not the worst of it. But um, the desire to grab and go with something that's um, simple and replicatable, that, that's an interesting point. A lot of people like to know what they're going to eat before they eat it. And one thing you can say for fast food is you know what you're going to get. Um, but again, uh, it, it's not all awful. I mean, we had the, the chicken sandwich wars in the U.S. over the last couple of years. On the one hand, um, it's fried chicken. On the other hand, it's chicken, <laughs> you know, which long ago overtook beef as the number one consumed protein in the U.S. Really? Yeah, yeah, and and will the that that will never change. Yeah, uh, I feel like chicken's like the thing that people cook the most. Yeah, it is, and, and it's the fallback. And um, you know, David Portolatin, who is maybe the leading analyst of of food business in the United States, said to me, "Americans love to try something new as long as they've had it before." So the various permutations of chicken that are continuing to be invented or reinvented are, are perfect fodder for that. He also said, look, Americans will tell you uh, in many cases that they're choosing chicken for health, but then they fry it. Right. Which is, you know, not, not by it. You can certainly enjoy a fried chicken meal once a week. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest it every night. No, I wouldn't suggest it every night, but everything in moderation. Exactly. Exactly. Do you find people, a lot of people are just addicted to the fast food? Sure. We've become addicted and you can argue over whether or not this was done on purpose by the big, bad, evil food companies, quote unquote. Right. Which the view many people have, but we're addicted to, to, um, salt, sugar, and fat. Um, and that's okay. Uh, you know, what are you going to do about it? You're going to tell people to, to eat better and some will and some won't. What I find interesting is that when, when the um, alternative, when, when plant-based quote meat unquote first came out, I, I was um, highly dubious about right. the ability of that product to really gain a toehold in the market. Because I'm old enough to remember, this was 1992, three, when McDonald's um, started uh, producing a hamburger called the McLean. And it had some beef, but also it, it had um, seaweed. Seaweed was, was the basis of the burger. And it tasted fine. I mean, it's a McDonald's burger. It's covered with other stuff. How are you going to know the difference? But it, it bombed. People were not going to buy something called the McLean back in the 90s. Today, to my surprise, um, I was I was wrong as hell. The the uh, fake meats are growing at a substantial pace in the United States and continuing to grow. And uh, most of the fast food chains are offering some version of it. Uh, it's it's growing in the supermarkets. I, th I think you could argue that um, America, to some extent, is hearing the um, the cry that uh, we should eat less meat and more plants. Yeah. And I think it's people are like, they want to try something different and they want to 
get more plants into their diet? Well, you know, a plant is a funny word. I, I It's not an enticing word for no. uh, menus. But look, 11 Madison Park, one of the most prestigious upscale restaurants in the United States, reopened recently in New York after the pandemic, serving um, an almost entirely vegan menu. There, there's some item on the menu that uses, I think, honey that makes it not technically all vegan, but there, right. there's no there's no animal protein at that restaurant. And you're paying, I don't know, 300, 500, 600, 700 dollars a person to eat there. So um, uh, obviously it's 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 showing that plant based food can be terrific. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting because I'm kind of an average food intense guy. Um, I have started thinking of late, what can I make that's all vegetables? Um, and it isn't easy in all candor to necessarily find a bunch of recipes that don't leave old farts like me looking under there somewhere for the meat. Right. It can be done. Do you do you think this trend is like here to stay? I do. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being very careful with my predictions because they've been very wrong. I predicted this would come and go and, and I was wrong. And I think it's real. I, I think it's growing. Um, the question is, how far is it going to grow? Is, is it going to grow far enough to have any real impact on the degree to which factory farming befouls the earth? And I'm certainly not about to predict that. There, there's too much corporate money involved right. in the production of beef, pork, and chicken. Uh, and, and frankly, tastes modify very slowly over a long period of time. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by the degree to which um, plant-based food is, uh, is continuing to slowly grow. At the Minnesota State Fair this year, where they, they, you know, it's one of the places where you get all this wacky stuff on a stick. <laughs> one of the featured new foods they're introducing is, and they're calling it a churro pop, it's, it's basically a corn dog, except instead of a hot dog on the inside, it is plant-based fake chorizo. And they're making wow. a vegan like corn dog out of that, serving it on a stick. And that is one of the new items. You know, it's a big deal to get new items on the menu at these state fairs. And that's one of the new items that they're touting. So to the extent that that's a barometer of social interest or, uh -huh. or culture, they're making a nod to, uh, to non-meat meat. They're trying to get a, the audience who doesn't eat meat. Yeah, and, and look, for a lot of places, um, one restaurateur, I think it was, explained to me that with stuff like this, you're dealing with the veto vote. It's the reason restaurants put salads on the menu when when they're not based on salad it's because when five people say let's go out and eat one of them is going to put his or her hand up and say I, i'm a vegan i can't do that right and this is sort of a defensive bulwark against losing that veto vote 
Well, that's is that do you see that's why they're offering like more like products yeah. like for gluten free, like sure, meals sure. and um, stuff too? Sure. Um, look, especially after getting battered by the pandemic, restaurateurs need to ensure the widest possible audience for what they're serving. But but understand something else. Look, it doesn't have to be entirely plant based to be better for you. I mean, there are, there are a number of um, food categories in the U.S. that are kind of um, I was going to say upscale, but it isn't around price that are, that are getting more artisan or more interesting based around um, foods that are good for you. For example, bagels, lox and cream cheese. I mean, there's nothing I was once. Here's a name drop. I was once having dinner with Dr. Andrew Weil, the famed alternative yeah. um, physician researcher at Harvard talking unsuccessfully about making a TV show with him. Anyway, he opined flat out that the single healthiest food you can possibly eat, and his freezer was full of it, he said, was salmon. So the concept of, of getting yourself a, a bagel with some smoked salmon, that that's good. For, I mean, you know, there's only so much bagel you should eat, but, um, right. and there's a whole resurgence now uh, of, delicatessens or or um um well bagel stores that are doing all sorts of innovative things with varieties of smoked salmon uh that that's a healthy food the country's fascination with sushi is is great if you're looking for healthy food although it depends upon how you eat your sushi i, I mean unlike basic simple sushi which by the way doesn't have to contain fish the definition of sushi is is uh, something on vinegared rice. So vegetable sushi is is perfectly normal. What we've done to sushi as a country over, over time is we've increased the size of it. We, we've turned almost entirely to rolls, which we now fill with anything, including French fries. We, we cover it with um, high calorie sauces. And right. in the case of one sushi bar that I featured in my book that happens to be in a gas station in Oklahoma, they they deep fry the rolls. Uh, you know, I, I would not suggest that that's necessarily um, the best thing for you, but uh, I am told it tastes really good. <laughs> but every food cat, look, every food category is aware that there is a growing interest in health. I mean, one of the biggest things in ice cream right now is non-dairy ice cream which by definition isn't ice cream to be well, ice cream it has to have by law to be ice cream it has to have at least 10 percent butterfat but there's this huge explosion in ice cream being made using coconut oil for example in place of milk um salt and straw which is a, a, a very innovative artisanal ice cream company is focusing a tremendous amount of their time on um, on vegan ice cream so uh, there are things you can do with um, various kinds of food to perhaps make them a little better for you. Uh, I don't know what to suggest with barbecue. <laughs> you know, that, by definition, <laughs> right, is, is going to be problematic, but it's so good. It's yeah. So good. I, I, well, when you said the dairy-free ice cream, it's amazing 
since I had to go dairy free like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. how much ice creams like popped up vegan ice cream in like the last just 10 years. Yeah, well, I, ice cream is an interesting category too because ice cream makers, I, ice cream sales, if they're growing, they're growing just by a little mm-hmm. bit because of the increase in other dessert options that, that producers have come up with over the years. So ice cream makers are always looking for something new to try to retain their audience. And non-dairy ice cream has been a big one. There's another one now, and it's not just an ice cream, there's a variety of foods doing this, but ice cream particularly, foods with benefits. Ice cream makers marketing their ice cream as probiotic, or there's one brand that markets that they have hidden vegetables in the ice cream that your kids will never taste. Now it's on Shark Tank. Is that on Shark Tank? Okay. Yeah. They're doing well. There's another maker, I think it's called Nightshade, that that advertises or promotes that their ice cream, if you have their ice cream before you go to bed, it won't keep you up. Well, that's a problem I did not know needed to be solved because I did not know that ice cream before bed would keep you up. But, you know, the the, the whole added benefit. And and you see that added benefits thing across any number of um, strata in the whole food business. Uh, it's, It's a happening thing now in snacks adding something good for you to some kind of snack bar to, to make it seem as if it's healthy. You know, p- part, of the, <laughs> part of the issue, if you're gonna educate Americans on how to eat well, is understanding what really is eating well versus the hype. Just because something is called natural doesn't mean it's good for you. Natural has no meaning in law. Right. Not, I, I'm natural. Um, this, this, thing of Purell that has survived the pandemic is natural, if I say it is. Um, that's a big thing at Purell, isn't it? Um, it's been a long pandemic. Uh, the point is, it, it's, I, I, back years ago, I worked for someone who was proud of the fact that she worked so hard that she lived almost entirely on energy bars. Well, energy bars are candy bars. You know, yeah, you, exactly. uh, that's not good for you. She hadn't right. thought it through, but this thing was supposedly good for you. So, ba boom. That that's that's not healthy eating. It's it's all a marketing ploy. Well, yeah. Well, look, food <laughs> is sold. Things that are sold need to be marketed. Yeah. As a consumer, you need to be able to look through the hype and. Uh, look on the side of the package, and if there's 30,000 ingredients that you cannot pronounce, right. that's probably not natural. No. Well, that's why I think a lot of times when there's a lot of products now and they say, oh, gluten-free, and everyone thinks that that's the healthy thing. <laughs> well, look, I'm calling you a skeptic. I, I assume that 90% of the people eating gluten-free don't really need to but it seemed like a hip thing to do. So. It's the hip thing to do. And people, yeah, I, you know, that, that, that's fine. I had celiac as a child. I have yeah. no need as an adult to eat gluten free. I'm, I'm, I have a high gluten sensitivity. So, well, yeah, but you and, know, what's fascinating about it though is gluten is a key ingredient. Yeah. in making good bread the way it used to be made. 
Right. If you have to live without gluten, you're giving up one of the wonderful things about food is taste and texture. There's no right. gluten-free bread that's ever going to be as good no, as it's, it's, real it's bread. It's, 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 might well you just might as well stay away from the gluten-free yeah. products because they're yeah. just they're not they're not the greatest. Um, well, but they're they're selling well. They're they're popular. It's, they're very um, popular. And I don't, you know, essentially, I don't know if they'll be here to stay in five years. Remember back when like the Atkins diet was in, and there was all sorts of food marketed to that. Yeah. And then I think he died or something. And it, it, you don't hear about those products anymore. So I, no, you know, it, it's always I'm always curious to see whether something is a trend or a fad. Do you think the gluten free trend is going to go away? It'll be replaced by something else. People who have a sensitivity to their left leg being shorter than there. I mean, something will come up, but I right, got everything. Uh, everything comes and goes. Yeah, and 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 that's fine. Uh, the only advice you can really give people is try to eat good food, and that doesn't mean it's organic. It doesn't mean it's from next door. Yeah, it'd be great if right. all of my food could come from next door. On the other hand, well, that's not realistic. <laughs> well, of course, I tried it one winter. We were just going to eat yeah. root vegetables, and it lasted about ten minutes. But you know, right. we, we we've become accustomed. I, I live in New Jersey. New Jersey has unquestionably the greatest tomatoes on earth. Alice Waters even says that. Um, but Jersey tomatoes occur only in the summer, and only for for a few weeks. Now, like most Americans, I eat tomatoes year round. That's a stupid thing to do. They're seasonal. But we raised them in California, um, genetically modified to be round so that they can be shipped in those containers. Yeah. And they don't really taste like tomatoes should taste, but hey, that's what we get. Same with strawberries. I mean, we're used to having strawberries year round and, and we've managed to find a way to do it, but it doesn't mean you get good strawberries year round. There's nothing like a Jersey tomato. You get a Jersey tomato, a piece of fresh mozzarella, and some basil out of the garden. And that caprese right there is the finest meal you'll ever have. It's just, um, it's a little different when it's when it's a tomato that has been shipped in plastic from California. Um, but we, we no longer have the, the discipline to, to wait for food to be at its best when it's at its best. No, we don't it's it's our yeah, idea of getting it quick well also you know we fall into these habits i was on the phone with some friends from uh uh charleston mm -hmm. and we were talking about southern cooking and i opined how much i like shrimp and grits and then i fessed up that despite the fact that i'm deeply into the food world i right. used instant grits and they fell over backwards, screaming at me, you can't use instant grits. About a week later, I got a package in the mail with two cloth bags of heritage grits from South Carolina. Right. And I made grits. And it was like something I'd never eaten in my life before. It was, there's absolutely no comparison. This was an extraordinary food item. And um, it just, it, you know, it shows once again, the difference between food and food right but most of us don't 
well, probably you know yeah. the difference because we just are so used to the one. Well, it's yeah, it's like convenience versus how much work are you going to do to get better food? For example, right. uh, for those who don't eat meat, I'm sorry, I do. I do. And I believe there is a difference in quality of meat. And the butcher that I like is 17 miles from my house. So sometimes I get in the car and I drive up there and I get really good meat mm -hmm. that's been dry aged on site, uh, given to me by a butcher to whom I can say, here's what I'm thinking. What do I, I, I want to make this. What should I do with this? How should I handle it? The rest of the time I go to my supermarket and I buy meat that's in plastic. Um, I know there's a difference, but I'm not always going to drive that 17 miles. Shame on me. Well, we can't be perfect. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, that dry aged beef that they do up there is phenomenal. <laughs> it sounds delicious. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> See, but I I like the 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 event. I like going into a butcher store and talking to the butcher about what cut should it be, how should I do it, and why. When I lived in Northern Jersey. Mm -hmm. uh, in a place that was um, defined by, I mean, I, I lived where the Sopranos allegedly happened. And okay. down Bloomfield Avenue, heading to Newark, was an old, old, old Italian butcher. And I would call up and say, you got lamb? And he'd say, yeah. I said, okay, I want to do a rack of lamb. So I'd, I'd come into the butcher's store. And he would be coming out of the walk-in with a carcass of a lamb. Wow. And that's where we would cut the, the rack of lamb from. And we'd talk, we'd schmooze. How do you do this? How do you do that? That's what I want from my craftsmen, from my artisan. And they love doing it. Oh, yeah. But so many of these professions are at risk. Right. You know, I, I haven't researched it, but I have a feeling not a lot of people are becoming butchers these days. No, I'm sure they're not. No, and and that's too bad. You know, I, I and the farmers too. Oh, we're losing. That's a whole. Yeah. Look, it's nothing but corporate farming at this point. Right. Um, which is um, when I lived in Minnesota, we had a hobby farm, which we didn't raise anything. We had horses. But in front of us were several acres of corn. And it turned out that corn was was owned in essence by, I don't know, ConAgra or one of the, the big companies, because yeah. the way they raised corn was basically to lock a price in for a farmer who would then raise the corn for them, knowing he was going to get a guaranteed price. And they, you know, because they were so big over time, they really couldn't get hurt in pricing. And they had farmers all over the place raising corn for them under contract. Um, and it was delightful to look at. <laughs> and it was not for human consumption either, because most of the corn raised in the U.S. is, is for livestock feed. Right. Do you, do you think, like, what do you think the next trends are going to be? Or food? I don't know. Um, uh, part of the next trend in food is COVID related, and it's simply an increase in dining through um, takeout and drive through. Right. Uh, uh, which, okay. 
Uh, in terms of food trends, I, I'm happy to say that I'm seeing uh, increasingly some adventurism on the part of American consumers who are starting to reach out and um, are eager to taste regional dishes from other countries that prior, uh, prior to recently have not been part of the American menu. In other words, we have Mexican-American cuisine, which is basically the cuisine of northern Mexico at the time um, half of Mexico was ceded to the U.S. in the Mexican-American War. And, and the dishes that are on the Mexican-American menu here have evolved out of that. Lately, for example, there's a dish called birria de res, which is not part of that original menu, which has come up from Mexico and which has stormed the country. I mean, it's a regional Mexican food. It's basically beef that is stewed in a cooking stock heavy with peppers. Uh, and as served these days, it's served on a uh, tortilla that's crisped on the grill. And then you dip it, you get a cup of the cooking sauce, which is now that it's after cooking, it's called consomme. And you dip the taco into the, the cooking sauce. It's phenomenal. That's delicious. Dish, oh, it's incredible. <laughs> that dish over the last few years has moved from Tijuana to Southern California all the way across the country to the East Coast. Uh, I enjoy it. I live 90 miles from Philly. I enjoy it at a truck in South Philly. It's just an incredible food. I, I think there is some indication that, that Americans are going to broaden their palates a little. There's, there's been some real development in Chinese food, something called Chinese 2.0, where young chefs are channeling, if not the exact dishes served in China, the essence of those flavors and textures in, into new dishes that have not been part of the Chinese American menu. Um, so uh, keep your fingers crossed. Hopefully we're, uh, we're broadening our palates. And that would be a good thing. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. Explore, yeah. taste, go out there, have some good stuff change it up <laughs> yeah exactly right because i think we get stuck with the same foods we eat all the time oh i'm i'm convinced that everybody eats a half a dozen foods that's it i think yeah. so too yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, although i saw a cartoon recently someone saying something along the lines of who knew that being a grown-up meant starting every day by worrying about what you were going to cook for dinner that is, that's so true. It is true. Because we think about it, if we don't have it planned out, we think about it all day I long. Made, I made an incredible lasagna for dinner last night. Right. And it's finished it for breakfast. Now I got to figure out something to make for dinner tonight. Yeah, or you're like, what am I supposed to have for breakfast or lunch or the- No, no, breakfast was clear. When you have lasagna for dinner, you have lasagna for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's, we just- are like we'll have the same we get the same 10 groceries I, I i invented a dish by accident the other day yeah i was gonna um slow braise chicken thighs mm -hmm. in a in a sofrito and i had all the vegetables diced and i had them going in the oil and i had the sofrito ready and i opened the fridge and i said to my wife 
what happened to the chicken thighs? She said, oh, I put them in the freezer. So <laughs> I actually had some tenderloin, beef tenderloin sitting there that I was intending uh, to, to use just, you know, steak. And instead, I threw the beef tenderloin into this sauce, put the, the temperature down as low as it would go, left it for four hours. It was a whole new take on Tornados de Boeuf. It was fantastic. Accidental cooking, it's the best. That's when you do your best. Yeah. You, we, I, I, what am I going to make? I don't know. I got this. Uh, that, that's that. Right? Just use what's in your fridge. <laughs> exactly. Then you don't have to go to the store. Exactly. But I think a lot of times we, we, people don't know how to cook. They just, or they just do the basics. Well, fear of cooking is a problem. Yeah. Um, fear of cooking is a real problem. I, when I lived in Europe, um, most of the time I was, I lived in Germany. Now in Germany, when you rent an apartment, it doesn't come with a kitchen. You can buy the appliances and cabinets from the prior renter, mm -hmm. or you can buy them new yourself. Well, I, I moved into an apartment that uh, the building was brand new. There had been no one in the apartment before. So I went to Ikea, or as they say over there, Ikea, and purchased an entire kitchen. And four years later, I moved out realizing I had been on the road covering news so much, I had not cooked a single meal in my kitchen. Wow. So when I got back to the States, I made a point of, I said, you know what, I'm going to cook. And I pretty much taught myself to cook. I'm not, I'm not a chef. I don't have any of the instincts. You know, I've interviewed an awful lot of chefs while they were right. cooking and they'll turn around and do something. And I'll say, why'd you do that? He said, it was time. I said, you're not looking at it. He said, I know, you know, I, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. But I'm an, I'm an eager amateur, and as long as you don't mind me cutting the steak open toward the end to check on the doneness, I'll make you a decent meal. Well, I, I think that's what people need to do is just need to cook and see what they create. And exactly. if you mess up, you mess up. But it's become, you know, one of the downsides of food television and, and all of the blogs and such is this sense of perfection that's required. Right. I'll, eat, I'll eat the first pancake. I don't care. doesn't have to be perfect. Right. Well, that's because it's the social media and all the yeah. blogs. and Well, it's, it's become a thing as if we invented cooking as opposed to something that humans have been doing ever since we invented fire. Right. And it's supposed to be fun. And I, don't, I think we've taken the fun out of it. Yeah, I've got a, um, a cousin by marriage who posts the adventures of her daughter as her daughter gets older in the kitchen. And I got to tell you, this kid's going to be a chef. She, or even, even better, she's going to be a baker. Right. The, the baked goods she, she comes up with are unbelievable. And baking, by the way, is much harder than cooking because baking is science. Yeah. In, in cooking, you can all oh, little of this, little of that. In baking, if it says three ounces and you put in two, your cake is ruined. Right. It's, it's yeah. a whole baking scares me. I don't bake. Yeah, I follow recipes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't bake. But I mean, 
I was, that's great that she's teaching her little kid to do that. I don't think she's teaching her. I think a little kid is learning on her own. A little kid knows on her own. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think my cousin really is, she'll probably hear this. Um, (laughs) I don't think she's much of a cook from what I can tell online, but, but her kid just, she's knocking it out of the park. So there you go. Well, and I think that's important because I think then it, as she's older, she's going to have that good habit because I don't think, I don't think now in America, we teach our kids cooking. No, but, but a, we don't, we don't teach them much of anything. Um, but, uh, they go to college, they live on ramen and then microwave dinners. Yeah. You know, it's, Oh God, microwave dinners. Um, I'd like all the sodium in the world, please. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, there, there is nothing more offensive than microwave meals. It, it's just, you look at the side of those packages. It's just horrible. The and only, they're not going away, are they? No, they're not. But there is one item I will microwave out of desperation because I don't have an actual location near me. And, and, and that is White Castle hamburgers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I used to have a family member who liked this. Yeah, and by the way, they're almost vegan because that that burger is so small. They're teeny. Yeah, they're they're teeny. The the I think it's one ounce of beef, um, but mostly it's onions that you taste. So that's fine. Well, and they were they were the first chain, you know. They were. Yeah, White Castle invented the concept of the production line um, burger chain. And they they never got anywhere near as big as the competitors who followed them because they didn't franchise. They retained ownership of all of their stores. But no, they they rescued the hamburger uh, back in the 20s when they started. Upton Sinclair's The Jungle had come out and basically ripped the uh, meat processing industry to shreds. And people were terrified of hamburgers. So, so what White Castle did is they, they uh, architecturally, their, their restaurants were entirely intended to evoke the sense of a hospital in terms of health and cleanliness. They were white porcelain and stainless steel. The food was prepared in front of you. And that saved the hamburger from disappearing. They then pretty much set the template for how you run a burger joint uh, in terms of breaking the tasks up into individual pieces, um, having a replicatable system. They even went with square hamburgers because it allowed them to put more on the grill. It was more efficient. There was no space between round burgers and they could fill a grill with hamburgers by making them square. Uh, no, they, they, they were brilliant. And, and they're still a very little <laughs> do you have anything else you would like to share uh just eat good food um for for all of the talk about chains or <laughs> pre-produced food or fake meat I, I just want people to eat good food that's made fresh and as much as possible patronize mom and pop restaurants that are that are not chains these people are are putting their blood and sweat and tears into trying to keep businesses open especially during this time (laughs) oh the pandemic just wiped them out 
So yeah, it's eat, awful. Eat, eat good food, and if you're going to go out, go to a local place. That, that's what I want to say. That's perfect. Well, thank you for coming on. This is great. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. I had a good time.